When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. This is historic progress, pulling our economy out of the worst crisis in 100 years. The key to the new innovation technology is actually coming from the oil and gas industry. How much money do we need for rural broadband? How much money do we need for bridges? Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. Wages will continue rising until those supply constraints ease up. President Biden's economic plan is certainly working. The investments in the American Rescue Plan are being intactful. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for joining us live from Washington, where we're keeping our masks handy. After the CDC reversed its guidance from May to advise fully vaccinated people begin wearing their masks again in public indoor settings, in areas where the virus is spreading rapidly. We'll talk about it straight ahead with Bloomberg Health Editor Drew Armstrong, as well with Larry Gostin, an expert on global health law at Georgetown and the World Health Organization. Later, we'll take a look at infrastructure, and we're going to bring you inside the first hearing of the House Select Committee investigating the attack on the Capitol. Conversations today with Congressman Ralph Norman, Republican from South Carolina, and Democrat Tim Romer, former Congressman, former member of the 9-11 Commission. The new guidance came down from on high today. In areas with substantial and high transmission, CDC recommends fully vaccinated people wear masks in public indoor settings to help prevent the spread of the Delta variant and protect others. This includes schools. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky in a briefing you heard live on Bloomberg Radio a short time ago. Fully vaccinated people wearing masks again, at least in some places. And joining us to talk about it, Bloomberg Health Editor Drew Armstrong. Thanks for being here, Drew. Uh, We can add another log on this fire. President Biden now also acknowledging today that they are talking about the possibility of mandating vaccines for the federal workforce. Things have changed a lot. Even in the past couple of weeks, Drew, where are the areas that people will have to start wearing masks again? You know, the way that CDC is putting this is that um, it's these areas where there is lots of uh, virus circulating. And you know, right now, that primarily means, uh, you know, the American South um, in particular. But, you know, uh, we're also seeing some of the uh, big U.S. urban areas fall under um, the scope of this as well, as uh, including, you know, most of New York, um, you know, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Houston, Dallas, Boston and, and Phoenix. So, um, you know, this is a lot of the country right now um, that is being guided to you know, put masks back on um, when they are in these uh, indoor congregate settings. 
We just got a note a couple seconds ago uh, from the press pool following the vice president, Kamala Harris. The pool has been told to wear masks. They were given masks and told to wear them. Apparently, Harris also masked. Is the White House next? You know, I think that really remains to be seen. One of the things that we know from, um, you know, the CDC call that we just have, they said this Delta variant is acting somewhat differently than uh, prior variants that they have been monitoring closely. One of the things that that includes is, you know, there have always been these breakthrough infections where vaccinated people do get infected with the virus. The question is, do they become symptomatic and then uh, do they spread it to other people? And they're seeing more instances where people who have been infected with Delta, despite being vaccinated, are spreading the virus to others. It means that, you know, you don't have the effect of breaking some of the chains of transmission yeah. um, in those cases. Uh, that, that you usually would hope to have um, with a vaccine. They did emphasize that the vast majority of spread is happening amongst um, unvaccinated people, and I do think that that is important to keep in mind. Drew, thank you for the insights. We bring in Larry Gostin now, director of the O'Neill Institute, chair in global health law at Georgetown and director of the World Health Organization Center on Global Health Law. Professor, thanks for being here. Lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. How significant is this and how worried are you about it? Well, you know, I'm worried about where the United States um, is headed. Um, I do um, foresee that we're going to have, you know, spikes in cases, you know, probably sweeping right across the country. And when people come back in September to work and school, um, we're going to see um, uh, higher caseloads because of all the, uh, the travel across the United States. Um, so that worries me. We're not going to see the same level of hospitalization and death um, that we did um, in the, the really dark, dark days. Um, but I'll say this, um, you know, while CDC, you know, is absolutely right to firm up on its mask guidance, you know, I think it may have lost the confidence of the public. This is actually the third change in masking recommendations in three months. It's a bit head-spinning. That's certainly what we've been hearing, and a lot of people say, well, why would I get a vaccination if I still have to wear a mask? Uh, I know that you work with the World Health Organization, and you've been helping to advise the Biden administration throughout this. Would you have told them, or did you tell them, that this was the right thing to do? Yes, but in fact, um, uh, when when the initial um, CDC guidance on masks came out, where they recommended that vaccinated people needn't wear masks. Uh, That was in May. I recommended absolutely at that time that that was the wrong decision to make because it was entirely predictable that everyone would take off their mask, whether vaccinated or not. That's exactly what's happened. And I'm afraid that with these third set of recommendations now, it's going to be hard to put the genie back in the bottle. You know, people have taken off their masks and I can't see um, people masking up. Um, in fact, I put specifically can't see unvaccinated people that masking up because if they won't vaccinate, they probably won't put on a mask either. Well, so where are we going to be in a couple of weeks or months uh, then, Professor? If, if, if we're in that world, we potentially have a country that could be reinfected. We do. As I say, um, we are going to see worrying spikes in cases um, but we're not going to see our hospital hospitals filling up the way we did because we've we've got too many people that are vaccinated 
certainly not enough, but too many. Um, you know, I have an op-ed coming out. Um, in fact, it's out now um, uh, today uh, on, in the Daily Beast, basically, um, you know, saying that, that um, you know, in some ways, you know, we've lost the battle on masks. We now need to work on mandatory vaccinations. And we're seeing more and more cities and states requiring vaccination of their workers. Um, and even in the federal government, the Department of Veterans Affairs have, have uh, issued a mask mandate, a, a vaccine mandate. And I really do think that the way to go is to have businesses, colleges, universities um, require vaccination. That's the only way that get us out of this now. Talking with Larry Gostin, professor, expert on global health law at Georgetown and at the World Health Organization as we try to get our heads around this updated guidance from the CDC. If we had not taken our masks off then, Professor, back in May, would we be here now? No, we wouldn't. Um, we, we, we would certainly have a little bit of a spike uh, in cases because, you know, we can't underestimate the power of this Delta variant, um, but we would have nothing like the level of cases that we have now. We do know that masks work if everybody wears them, and particularly you want people to wear them in crowded indoor settings. Um, And uh, that's a small inconvenience in exchange for a big payoff in lowering uh, the number of cases, hospitalizations, and deaths. So, you know, it was an own goal um, by the CDC. I, I love the CDC as an agency. It's the shining star of our federal agencies and the envy of the world, but I do think they've got it wrong. Um, and now they're trying to correct it, but it may be a little too late. This is disheartening to hear from the director of the World Health Organization Center on Global Health Law as we spend some time with Larry Gostin, professor as well from Georgetown Law. Can I ask you from a legal standpoint, you talk about these mandates, professor, Will they not result in a pile of lawsuits? They will result in a pile of lawsuits because America is litigious. No matter what you do, you're going to get lawsuits. Um, But uh, businesses are on very firm ground. Um, The Equal uh, Employment Opportunity Commission has said that um, businesses and universities uh, can require vaccines. Um, Just this week, uh, the Office of Legal counsel of the Department of Justice reaffirmed that. I think it's clear that even under an emergency use authorization, COVID-19 vaccines can be mandated by the private sector and should be. Um, Hospitals, uh, workplaces, uh, colleges, universities, that would get us a long way. I also think, frankly, that um, President Biden should set an example and require Um, vaccines in the military and in the civil service. Um, And that would also encourage states and uh, localities to do it. Um, For example, New York City uh, uh, has required uh, vaccinations of its workers, um, and so is California. Um, And so I think, uh, you know, the time is right um, for us to really take vaccination much more seriously. We've been too casual. We've we've begged, we've pleaded, we've cajoled, we've um, offered incentives, and we're still not budging. Um, So 
what we need to do is make vaccination the default choice, the easier choice. Um, and there should be cer certain consequences um, for not being vaccinated. Um, they needn't be draconian, and I don't want to punish or shame anyone um, because these are all good people. Um, but I do think that, you know, if we um, require vaccination as a condition of going to work or school, and if you say no, then you should uh, have to mask up and regularly test. Most people won't want to get tested twice a week. They'll just get the jab and be done with it. Larry Gostin, global health law expert at Georgetown Law and the WHO. Thank you for being here on an important day. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. With breaking news today on the mask guidance from the CDC, we'll start there. President Biden says yes, they are considering a vaccine mandate for federal workers. Will you require all federal employees to get vaccinated? That's under consideration right now, but if you're not vaccinated, you're not nearly as smart as I thought you were. He says it's under consideration, and if you're not vaccinated, you're not as smart as I think you are. CNN, as you just heard from Charlie now reporting, the president will announce that requirement. And as we told you earlier, the press pool surrounding the vice president was given masks to wear a short time ago. The VP, Kamala Harris, had one on, too. The White House Correspondents Association, since we took air today, announcing that it is reimposing its mask mandate. That's for reporters in the White House. And now headlines are moving as we speak. The White House staff will be required to mask up once again. Staff got word on that a short time ago, that news breaking since we got on the air less than 20 minutes ago. Earlier, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was pressed on the timing of the new mask guidance just weeks after President Biden declared a summer of freedom. He made clear that it was not over, uh, that those who were unvaccinated were still at risk. Uh, he made clear that uh, you were protected uh, from uh, serious illness disease or hospitalization if you were vaccinated. Went back to the tape. Here's President Biden on the 4th of July. 245 years ago, we declared our independence from a distant king. Today, we are closer than ever to declaring our independence from a deadly virus. 
That's not to say the battle against COVID-19 is over. We've got a lot more work to do. Fast forward to the 27th of July, and we're joined now by Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shee and Zeno and Rick Davis. Thanks for being here, as always. Jeannie, is it possible the White House is doing the right thing with all these headlines and also creating a credibility problem for itself at the same time? In one word, yes. Uh, This makes sense. The CDC guidelines, what the White House has said and what it is planning to do, makes sense from the health perspective in areas where the virus is spreading. As Drew was telling you earlier, for example, in parts of the South, you need to mask indoors whether you're vaccinated or not. It all makes sense. The problem here is one of communication. And I was so, couldn't agree more with your previous interview with Professor Gostin when he said, For the third change on masking requirements, the danger here is that the CDC loses the public's confidence. And that is a real problem. So to me, this is an issue of communication. The president gets ahead of himself talking about a summer of freedom. Now you're telling people vaccinated have to go back and wear masks. This is not the way to handle the communications end of a health policy scare like this. And that is a problem for the White House. Rick, how'd they do with the rollout on this or are doing this is happening before our eyes here? How would you have advised the president on this? Well, the the biggest problem is he's leading from behind. I mean, you look at what's already happening around the country. Major corporations are requiring vaccines. California is requiring vaccines for, you know, their state workers. New York City is requiring vaccines. I mean, why wasn't the federal government ahead of all this, right? They're the ones with the data. They're the ones with the ability to direct the country toward a certain outcome. I mean, Larry Gosden, who you were just talking to, was talking about federally required um, vaccinations back in February. You're right. So I think they've just lost the initiative here. And uh, they got a lot of people still, 100 million people not vaccinated, and they've been trying to control them to do it. And now at least they can set a standard. If you haven't required the federal workforce to do it, why do you expect anybody else to do it? So I think this is just a classic example of letting the problem get ahead of the solution. The solution is these mandated vaccines. And in so much as you're going to put a Band-Aid on the current public health problem, get people back in masks. But that does not cure the problem. Vaccines cure the problem. Jeannie, we've talked about the way some big Wall Street banks are handling this, along with some other companies, and in hopes to get workers back in the office at some point this fall. We're still looking at a lot of empty offices. How will this play for the private workforce? I think they are going to do what we're seeing more and more of both public and private organizations do, which is make it easier to get vaccinated than it is to be unvaccinated. And that's quite frankly what has to happen. Requiring people to wear masks and to regularly test is onerous it's frustrating people don't like to do it it's far easier to get the vaccination once or twice and be done with it so i think that's what they're going to do and legally they can do it the federal judge looking at the indiana university case supported it even though the fda has not fully approved it and i can't go back and say strong enough that fda approval is key many people unvaccinated go back and point to that as a reason why the government shouldn't be requiring this so that's something the government's got to handle Our colleague Eric Wasson just tweeted the CDC has now moved D.C., the District of Columbia, to orange, meaning substantial transmission, meaning fully vaccinated people should wear masks indoors in public per new guidance. That is apparently why the press pool surrounding Kamala Harris today was given masks, although it appears that starting imminently, reporters in the mansion in the West Wing will be masked up at all times. 
I suspect we'll see Joe Biden wearing a mask soon as well. There was some drama today in what was the first hearing of the House Select Committee on January 6th. We heard from four police officers who defended the Capitol, including Michael Fanone, who was dragged into the crowd and beaten. He suffered a heart attack and a concussion that day. And he became emotional in his testimony. I feel like I went to hell and back to protect them and the people in this room. But too many are now telling me that hell doesn't exist or that hell actually wasn't that bad. The indifference shown to my colleagues is disgraceful. Silence in the room. As we bring in Congressman Ralph Norman, Republican from South Carolina, talk about this and funding for security in the Capitol. Congressman, welcome back. Well, I'm honored to be with you, Joe. Thank you for having me. I have to ask you about some of the testimony we heard today, Congressman, from some of the police officers. And I know this commission has been surrounded by politics, by controversy, but I wanted to ask you specifically about the officers and whether you were moved by what you heard. Oh, yeah. How could you not be? I mean, the officers are the brave people that they're the front lines. They're the ones that face the rioters. They're the ones that were there. Now, what's being held now is, you know, they call it bipartisan. How is it bipartisan when Pelosi kicks off the people that she thinks will ask tough questions in Congressman Banks and Jordan and then puts her people in? No, you've got to be moved by the officers. But get this, uh, for your listeners, we had an oversight hearing. And the, the, the theme of the, the supposedly theme of the hearing was to get to the bottom of what happened on January 6th. Guess who was not there? The Capitol Hill Police representative. Uh, the, the Speaker of the House, who was ultimately in charge of it, was not there. Uh, and so that, this is all a charade to try to put the, uh, put the blame and the focus on a president, uh, Trump, who's no longer there. Look at the problems we've got in this country. Look at the borders. Look at the cities that are on fire. Look at inflation. I mean, you go down the list, they're not solving any of the the nation's problems. They're trying to keep the focus on Donald Trump so they can keep their power. And uh, yes, I feel for the Capitol Hill police. I think the truth always comes out. It'll take time. I will tell you the truth will not come out with with Adam Schiff on board, uh, with Liz Cheney on board. Uh, and, and, and others. So, uh, yes, I move, but then I see it for what it is, which is just a, a camouflage to address the real problems of America. Well, staying away from the committee then for a moment, I know you voted against uh, the resolution to give the Congressional Gold Medal, for instance, to those officers. Would you vote the same way after hearing from them today? You know, what's hypocritical, Joe, is to, to give gold medals when this administration under Nancy Pelosi wants to defund the police. Now, where are medals for the, the during the riots, the police officers that died? Where is the true, um, I guess, feelings, empathy for, for officers, the 128 officers who were who are killed in the line of fire uh, as, as we speak and, and growing? Where's the empathy for the 28 who were ambushed? I mean, it's so hypocritical. And I talked to a lot of officers because I I had a couple come by and ask me why I did what I did. I said, y'all, would you rather have uh, medals from a administration who's doing everything they can to fight you? I mean, how does defunding and giving a few medals for the optics, it makes makes no sense to me. And, yeah, I'd vote against it again. And uh, if she really had the heart to to, to help our police officers, uh, double their budgets in many cases. Uh, don't defund them like they're trying to do. 
and 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 have some empathy for those who are putting their their life on the line because I know of no uh, no state that has an abundance of uh, those who are protecting us, which is our frontline police officers. And Nancy Pelosi is directly to blame in her administration. Well, and I'm not trying to pit one group of officers against another. I just know 140 police were injured that day, and of course one was killed. But are you enheartened then to see that we have a deal, I guess, on capital security, at least it's uh, on the committee level, that would help to pay for security improvements and, in fact, fund Capitol Police? Well, I would fund Capitol Police, but, you know, if, if it's so, again, it's hypocritical. Uh, they want to protect the, the uh, uh, politicians. What about protecting the, the average American who is getting beat up on the streets now? Again, what they say versus what they vote and do are two different things. And that's my whole issue with, with what they're trying to do. The optics and the cameras uh, come alive when they think they're selling their message, but it's just not true. But no, I, um, you know, I, it, it's, it's a disconnect that is there. And the police officers see through it. Look, I would like nothing more than to get to the bottom of actually what happened, who knew what. Um, everyone knows that they had advance notice. Now, why were they not better prepared? That's what we need to see. But we've got a, you know, what happened on January 6th is coming gone. We've got, we've got issues in this country that, I, you know, that need to be addressed. And this is just a, a cover-up to try to address that and keep it on, Don, put the blame on Donald Trump. We heard from uh, Officer Michael Fanone, and I'll, we can wrap it after this, Congressman. I just am curious to hear your reaction to the things he said today. And he said the indifference showed to my colleagues is disgraceful. He said some elected officials in the Capitol betrayed their oath. Who was he talking about? I have to ask him. I have no idea. Uh, all I know is um, there were, from what I understand, there were a number of agencies that reported real problems that were going to occur. And for whatever reason, they didn't have, I mean, you saw the pictures. You had some people coming in unhindered. You had others who were, who were battling. So I don't know who they were talking about. All I know is the result was unfortunate. The lives that were lost were unfortunate. Uh, and, you know, if we had a true hearing made up of people who really wanted to find out the truth, I would be all for it. This is just not the venue, nor is Miss Pelosi. Uh, she's putting politics back in something. That, politics has no play in this, in my opinion. Congressman Ralph Norman, we appreciate the insights today. Thanks for coming back to talk to us on Bloomberg Radio. My pleasure, Joe. Thank you. January 6th committee has begun its work. As you were just hearing on Bloomberg Sound on testimony from the police officers who fought the mob that day. And after our conversation with Congressman Norman, we talk about what the investigation may accomplish with former Congressman Tim Romer, Democrat from Indiana, served on the 9-11 Commission. He's also ambassador to India. Mr. Ambassador, welcome back to Bloomberg Radio. Joe, always a pleasure to be with you and uh, look forward to catching up. Well, you have unique experience, of course, having served on the 9-11 Commission. And I wonder what you make of this exercise now. I saw you tweeting about it in advance of and during the hearing. How legitimate is this panel's mission? And are you bothered by the political theater that has surrounded it? Well, my background, Joe, as you alluded to, uh, I, I remember vividly uh, the events of 9-11, when our country was viciously and savagely attacked by terrorists trying to do us harm. 
and trying to hurt our form of government and our freedom and our Constitution. January 6th is a similar day in some ways. We had terrorists. The police officers today in the congressional uh, testimony referred to these uh, mobsters, uh, insurrectionists on January 6th as terrorists. And uh, you could tell by how emotional the police officers were today in their testimony. They sure could. They not only protected our country, our Constitution, our Capitol, from being attacked uh, by these vicious uh, uh, terrorists, as they were called, but these police officers, Joe, as you heard, feared for their lives. One of them said, uh, just in this riveting testimony, these uh, these attackers wanted to take my gun from me and shoot me and kill me with my own firearms. Yeah. Uh, so it was it was riveting, compelling. Uh, now this committee, which has to be nonpartisan, has to be nonpolitical, has to be after the truth. Uh, they can't be Democrats or Republicans. They got to be Americans first and foremost to seek truth and answers. Why did this happen on January 6th? Who did it? How did it happen? And what do we do next about it? One of those officers you're referring to, I believe, Michael Fanon, described being pulled into the crowd, being beaten, suffering a heart attack and a concussion in the middle of it. And to your point, was lucky to not have his firearm taken away from him. He had a very important message today for elected leaders, he said, questioning what went on that day. And and as he pointed out, not supporting his colleagues. Here's what he said. Being an officer, you know your life is at risk whenever you walk out the door, even if you don't expect otherwise law-abiding citizens to take up arms against you. But nothing, truly nothing, has prepared me to address those elected members of our government who continue to deny the events of that day, and in doing so, betray their oath of office. Do you believe, Ambassador, that these lawmakers, he did not name them, betrayed their oath? I certainly think that there are uh, Republicans that have put obstacles, uh, challenges, uh, barriers in front of getting to the truth here. I worked very hard with Republicans and Democrats to try to create an outside, independent 9-11 style uh, commission on the outside of politics to look at the facts on January 6th. We got, Joe, as you remember, 252 votes in the House uh, to 175. That was a butt-whipping in anybody's you know, sports categorization of a vote. That was overwhelming Democrats and Republicans working together to pass it. Then it went to the Senate, and uh, the senators tried to block it with procedural motions, with, uh, you know, ancient mechanisms to put, uh, you know, all kinds of hurdles of we needed 60 votes to try to get this passed. We got up to 57, and uh, 57 to something like 35 would have voted in favor of this in the Senate. So that's another overwhelming vote of support to do this in a bipartisan way, to look as Americans at this. I hope the Senate has another vote. I think we could get to 60. I think the select committee should continue to do its work, uh, as it did today, in this riveting, compelling, very, very interesting testimony. Now they need to build on this. We should have an inside Congress uh, investigation and an outside independent 9-11 style investigation as well. Well, We're talking with former Congressman Tim Romer, Democrat from Indiana, former ambassador to India, about today's 
first day, it was the first hearing, uh, Ambassador. Did you hear anything new? And if not, what do you want to hear in the ensuing days? What I found so interesting uh, was, you know, one of the police officers said, you know, the terrorists came prepared. They had armored vests, they had bear spray, they had tasers, and they were going to kill us. Now, we've heard some members of Congress say, well, this was just kind of an average tourist day. Well, Joe, you know, I've given tours of the Capitol to my constituents from Indiana before. People don't brave bring bear spray and tasers and guns and Molotov cocktails to a, a tourist event. So let's, let's realistically and practically approach this from the facts, learn what happened. How did they plan this? How, how far and ahead of time of January 6th were people talking about this on the Internet? Who helped them organize this, whether it was pay for buses, pay for transportation, pay for hotels? Who instigated the attack on the Capitol? Was there any help that they got once they got up to Capitol Hill? Did somebody help these folks try to plan to get in, provide maps to them, uh, try to help them breach our constitutional process, the peaceful transfer of power, counting the votes from one presidential election to another? That, again, Joe, is a sacred event in American politics. So from a values point of view, from a point of view of our Constitution, from protecting our law enforcement officers, all those reasons compel us, compel us to get to the facts on this. Tim Romer, former congressman from Indiana, former ambassador to India, and of course a former member of the 9-11 Commission, we thank you for your insights today. Joe, thank you. My pleasure. As we turn back to Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Sheehan, Zeno, and Rick Davis now. So we now have a deal, if you didn't hear this earlier in the hour, to spend $2 billion. This is a Senate deal to improve security at the Capitol. Rick, did today's testimony result in that deal? The House passed its version back in May. It's been sitting around since then. Absolutely. Uh, there's no question that part of what this commission is doing is keeping a spotlight on what happened on January 6th. All these funding mechanisms uh, for improved security have been bottled up in committees. And today we saw the Appropriations Committee uh, uh, come out with a bipartisan, uh, fully funded opportunity to increase uh, security, uh, increase manpower, uh, and also uh, uh, clean out a few cobwebs on some other issues, uh, a real bipartisan agreement. That would not have happened today. Uh, may have happened later, but it didn't. wouldn't have happened today without this commission and this hearing today. And as we noted, it funds the Capitol Police, reimburses the National Guard. As we run out of time, I have to get to a topic that, my gosh, we've waited 53 minutes to mention infrastructure. This is a day to remember here because we've been talking about it all day, every day for more months than we can count. I spoke about it with Congressman Ralph Norman, who you heard earlier in the broadcast, Republican from South Carolina, asked him if he plans to vote no. And he does. I would like to say it depends on whether it's tied to reconciliation, Joe. But with this administration, nothing is tied to anything rational or reasonable. So, no, I'm not going to. I don't expect anything. Jeannie, we've talked about some of the headwinds that this deal would face in the House, but we still don't have a deal in the Senate. The more time goes by means what with regard to this bipartisan arrangement? 
Well, Joe, I want to thank you because you know I can't go an hour without talking about <laughs> infrastructure. So thank you. Um, yeah, you know, to me, um, I'm not surprised that Representative Norman is vo- is voting no. There is no uh, legislation yet. We may see a bill tomorrow, Thursday. <laughs> Who knows? But again, I think the real challenge here is what he just said, is this linking. And is Nancy Pelosi going to stick to her promise that she said over and over again about the House not voting on the bill, at least the bipartisan bill, until they see the reconciliation bill? That, I think, is the sticking point at this moment. And that may just be her playing politics. Who knows? But if she sticks to that, I think it makes this thing that much tougher to get a bipartisan bill out. Headline on the terminal, Rick. Infrastructure gang targets pharma to pay for roads, bridges. We have a new pay for senators considering changes to drug policy, Medicare. As I read in the sub headline, hunt for funding intensifies as lawmakers finalize package. Is taking a little money from pharma help to win any votes? Taking a little money from everybody helps to win a little votes. Anything you can do to not have to raise taxes is going to help make Republicans more confident of this bill. And so, you know, follow the money. Uh, Pharma has had explosively positive years. I mean, they're one of the industries that have done well through COVID. And so let's go pick their pockets and see what we can get in order to blunt some of the debate on pay fors. Uh, I, I, I think it's creative. And I think these guys are scrambling to get a deal done. And they, they want to make you the believer. They want this to be <laughs> infrastructure week when it ends. Yeah, well, but it's not yet. Tomorrow's Wednesday, Rick. Does each day make this more difficult? Or are we just making too much out of it in the media? No, I think it actually makes it easier with each day passing because their backs are up against the wall with uh, August recess. They want to go home. They want to get out of Washington. It's hot here. It's humid here. (laughs) There's nothing good happening inside the Beltway. And so the pressure is going to mount every single day, every hour between now and then when they want to get out. And they're going to try to get a vote done, at least on this cloture procedure, before they get out. And that's the pressure. They met last night, I suspect again on at least Zoom or the phone tonight because we're dealing with masks again here. Jeannie, do you see a deal before the end of the week? I see a piece of legislation. We may see something, a vote for cloture. We may see something out of the Senate. But again, let's stress, this is not a piece of legislation. This is not a bill on infrastructure. It's, it's part of a reflection of their agreement that's got a long way to go before it's law. We'll take another swing tomorrow. Of course, our Bloomberg Politics contributors, Jeannie Sheehan-Zeno and Rick Davis, will be with us. Big thanks to Jeannie and Rick, as always, and all of our guests on the program. Learn a lot as ever. I'll meet you back here tomorrow on the fastest hour in politics. Bloomberg Sound On. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.